0: Good morning. Uh, I don't get up here very often, so if you don't know me, my name is Brent. I'm the Connections pastor here at Olive Branch. Yes. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, uh, We're kicking off a three-week study uh, over the next three weeks called Church Work. And I was just kind of trying to think of how how can you just kind of summarize the next three weeks for you. and, And kind of inventively, I came up with church work that 's what we 're going to be talking about for the next three weeks and and tonight today 's message for me is, is kind of serious um, and, uh, and so I just kind of want to throw it out there I, this isn 't like i 'm preaching at you and i 'm waving my finger more than i 'm inviting you into a conversation that I think we need to have as a church and it 's a serious conversation and I know that i 'm going to be doing all the talking, but if you talk to my wife she 's going to say that 's like every conversation I have so Um, But as we're we're putting this together, you know, there's a startling thought is that the church is one generation away from extinction. You know, think about that for a moment and just kind of let it soak in. We're one generation, the church is, from disappearing, from us dropping a ball that's been passed on, chain by chain, and generation to generation for thousands of years. And maybe you never realized that or really thought that through, but... We're one generation away, and, and you, know, I, you guys might be thinking, oh, pastors, get on the ball. What do you guys do all week? You know, And seriously, and, know, what we want you guys to understand at the end of this three weeks is that church work isn't your pastor's work, and it's not the work of your small group leader, and it's not even the work of the missionaries. Church work is our work, and church work is my work. And there's a tendency to just kind of think that the pastor is to do all the ministry and all the spiritual things are to be thrown at the the pastor. But the scriptures are clear. The Bible is clear in the sense that it defines the pastor's role. And the pastor's role is to equip and train the saints for the work of ministry. So it's not the pastor's work. It's not someone else's work, church work is my work. And I just want to, if you're a believer, I want you to say that right now. Church work is my work. You know, and Paul understood that. And if you want to grab the Bibles under the seat backs in front of you and, and turn it to uh, 2 Timothy 2, 1 through 4. And in the Bibles that we've provided, it's page 996. Paul understands this. Paul understands this. He's, he's writing a letter to Timothy. It'll be his final letter. He knows he's gonna die. He's in prison, he's chained up, he knows he's gonna be found guilty and beheaded. And he's writing this last epistle or letter to Timothy, and, and, and he's basically saying to Timothy, hey, hey, buddy, listen, listen. We can't drop the ball here. We need to pass this on to the next generation. And he says, he says this. So let's see, look what he's saying. He says, You then, my child. Be strengthened in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. I mean, right there, right there, Paul gets it. He understood that this needed to be passed on, that his generation of Christians has to pass it on to the next generation who gets it, who will then pass it on to the next generation who gets it. We are one generation away from seeing it end. And it won't merely survive because the pastors are doing the work. It will be because we are doing the work. We are reaching the next generation. And I'm telling you, I don't, I don't know that we're really doing that good of a job overall. Because as I was preparing for this message, I came across some statistics that are kind of startling. Um, and I just want to share those with you. This next generation, behind me at least, um, you know, is, is this generation of like 22 to 35-year-olds. And they're not only the generation that's really going to carry the banner forward, but they're also a generation that if we don't reach them could very well abdicate that privilege. You know, and some of these statistics are this. 35%, 35% of adults between 22 and 35 have an anti-position, an anti-church position. They're not just ambiguous about the church. They hold an anti-church position and feel that the church does more harm than good. 35%. 59%, if you round up, it's 60. 59% of adults that were raised in the church have abandoned the church. 70% of young adults completely drop out of church. 8 and 10, 80%. 80% of people under the age of 30 don't believe that church is important. 80% doesn't believe that church is important. We need to reach this generation so that they get it. So that they will pass it on to the next generation. And we won't be the generation that drops a 2,000-year-old ball. And one of the ways that we're going to reach them, one of the ways that we're going to encourage them is, is we just need to pour out our cup. We need to pour out our cup, what has been entrusted to us and trust to others. Pour out our cup into this next generation. And like Greg talked last week, like Greg was talking last week, you know, part of it starts with our kids. You know, he was bringing up the scripture that, you know, when you wake, when you lay down, when you walk side by side, teach your children. And it starts with our children and our families seeing us truly love God. Truly love God and living out our faith with a true integrity before them. Without hypocrisy, without double standards. They must see us loving God. Christ. They must see us loving the mission that the church has been called to. They need to see us being bold in our faith. True in our faith. And they need to see us sharing that faith with others. And I will say the church walks alongside of you. I want to encourage you in that. The church walks alongside of you. We have children's ministry. We have youth ministry that help disciple up your children. But but they're not there to replace you. They're there to support you. And that's what church work is. We support one another as a community, but you still have that responsibility to pass that on to your children and to the next generation. Church overall, I mean, church is a discipleship center. That's what church is. It's a discipleship center to train you, to train you for the battle that's ahead. To prepare you for the mission. There are only two things that the church should be doing. Evangelizing and discipling. And then sending them to evangelize and disciple. Those are the only two things that the church should be about. If anything else, it's really a waste of time, energy, and resources. That's what the church is about. We disciple one another so that... We have confidence when we face the enemy, when we're f- confronted with battle. But, but that confidence, that confidence comes in the form of a merciful king, and a conquering king. And we're determined to let others know the captives have been set free by him. You know, And we pass that on. What has been entrusted to us, we entrust to others. And I want to I clarify, and I just want to Make sure I'm clear on what I'm saying. I'm not talking about, as the church, you know, Oh, I'm worried about keeping our doors open for business for another generation. That's not what I'm talking about. Church work is about reaching souls. It's about making Christ known to those that do not know him. It's about reaching souls. It's about discipling them up. To go out and reach souls and disciple them up. It's, it's literally life and death. Eternal life, eternal damnation. That's the stakes that the church is confronting. The church isn't a place to just sit and be comfy and be entertained. It's a place to be equipped. Kevin Kane said this. I loved it, so I'm going to steal it. I don't know if he's here. so, But he says this. He says, the church is not a cruise ship for your comfort and your pleasure, It is an aircraft carrier to launch you into battle. Like I said, I stole that from Kevin. He didn't copyright it, so I can't be sued. I'm feeling good about that. But, you know, it's not there for you to simply become more knowledgeable. But to put that knowledge into action, to put that knowledge into action, and that action is very clear. Go, make disciples, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Go, pour out your cup. That means inside these walls. That means outside these walls. It's all church work. And it's about capturing this next generation and equipping them. This is what we've been instructed to do. And it can be scary. It can be scary. And we need to understand that. We need to understand that it can be scary. We need to remind ourselves church work is hard work. Church work is hard work, and it's scary. We need to have courage. And that's one of the things that makes it hard, is church work is hard, because it does require courage. We're being called to obedience. And obedience, I mean, when you think about it, obedience really is doing something you really don't want to do because someone in authority has instructed you to do it. If you really wanted to do it, you wouldn't need to be instructed, and it would be easy. Obedience can be hard. And even though we're instructed to go and make disciples, I talk to people all the time, and they're scared. They're afraid. They're afraid to share their faith. They're afraid to talk to people about Christ. Even with new believers, people who have just given their lives to Christ, they're afraid to step into their lives and and help disciple them and help point them to the next steps of maturity in their walk. They're afraid to simply pour out their cup. You know, we're in a war. We're in a war. And war is scary. And therefore, we must be courageous. We must be courageous. And I just want to remind you, courage isn't the absence of fear. It's pressing on in the face of fear. And we must press on. And we all have something to pour out. We all do. If you're a believer, you have something to pour out. And I don't care if you are a brand new Christian and just gave your life to the Lord a day or two ago. You have something to pour out. It may be as simple as, what has God done for you and what is he doing in you in this moment? Pour that cup out. We all have something to pour. Overcoming fear is hard. And it causes suffering and church work is hard because it requires suffering. And, uh, and, and going to verse 3, in the, in the, it says, Share in the suffering as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. I love that idea. Share in the suffering. I love that because it is assuming you, we're all suffering. We're all suffering. No one escapes the suffering sharing that together, encourage each other to press on through it. We're all suffering, sharing it. We have been enlisted like a soldier. And like a soldier, we're called to endure hardship. We have been enlisted, and like a soldier, our lives are not merely our own alone. We live to serve the one who enlisted us. We are to please the one who enlisted us. And if you're a Calvinist, you might read that as, we serve to please the one who drafted us. Now, that has bombed every single service, but because I have courage and perseverance, I'm going to continue that joke. (laughs) If you didn't get it, that's fine. I'm cool with that. If you did get it and you didn't laugh, send your complaint emails to PastorGreg at OliveBranch.org. So, soldiers don't get distracted from their directive. Soldiers don't get entangled in civilian affairs. A soldier doesn't tell his sergeant major, I can't be on duty this weekend, I've got a softball tournament. There is a war on. There is a war on. And so, there has to be a seriousness about our work. There has to be an urgency about our work because it is serious, like I said, this is life and death. We should not be entangled in civilian affairs and I just want to encourage you to take care that your hobbies, your hobbies don't, don't get in the way, your sporting events, your leisure attack, uh, activities don't get in the way and weaken your resolve to please the captain of your salvation. Every Christian should hold his shoulders back, bearing, being a man that has been enlisted and bearing forward in a battle for a king against a great and powerful enemy. We have our marching orders. We have been given those. That is what church work is. It's hard work. I get it. Obedience requires suffering. You know why? Because love requires suffering. Love requires, the mission requires suffering. And suffering simply is just enduring pain, distress, frustration, patiently, willingly, and diligently. Sharing it together, because we can't escape suffering. In fact, everyone in this room is sacrificing or suffering for someone or something. The question is what? Some of us in here are, are suffering and sacrificing for yourself. And if that's you, you could probably identify that because your expectation is that others sacrifice and suffer for you as well. Do you suffer and sacrifice for your family, for your career? And often those two can be confused We believe that we're sacrificing for our career, for our family, when in fact we're sacrificing our family for our career. What is your priority list? What are you willing to sacrifice for and suffer for? And let me rephrase that. Let me put it a different way. What are you willing to be put outside of your comfort zone for? What are you willing to be put out of your comfort zone for? Is it God's kingdom? And I'll say, that is a really real question. Is it God's kingdom? Is that what you're willing to sacrifice and suffer and be put out of your comfort zone for? Because hear me out, hear me out. We will suffer, we will sacrifice for those things that we believe to be important. And we will sacrifice the things that we don't. I want to repeat that. We will sacrifice for the things that we deem important and will sacrifice the very things we don't. I just want to encourage you. Make sure that your priorities are in order. Too often we sacrifice church work at the altar of other things. We sacrifice our God-given mission at the altar of earthly pursuits. And I get it. There's a lot of things competing for our time. There's a lot of things. But we can't allow it to distract us from church work. And one of those things, I know, is the freeway commute. Many people, and I've been there myself, is, you know, you're involved in a two-, three-hour commute every day, and you're working hard all day long, and you come home, and you're tired, and you're exhausted. I get it. And not only that, your, your, your schedules are just wall-to-wall all week long. They're, our lives are hectic. I get it. And so weekends come, and it's like, oh, let's just go away and get some r and R. These things aren't wrong. And in fact, many of them are needed. We do need R&R. I mean, even God said, hey, Sabbath. We do need refreshing. We do have to go on a commute to support our family. I get it. Those things aren't necessarily bad, but make sure that the priorities are right. Make sure that, that you've got it in the right order. Part of the tension with all of this I believe, is, is that I think sometimes we can get up, caught up and feel like our life is our journey, that we are in control, that we get to decide for ourselves how we're going to live out our faith. That's not scriptural. I believe it's a lie of the devil because th- what the scriptures indicate is we have willingly become bond slaves to Christ. We have willingly chosen to give our life over to Him. He is our Lord, He is our King, and He is our Commander. We follow Him. We have given our lives and our complete control over to Him. Anything less than that, I don't think is what is described when Christ says, pick up your cross and follow me. Pick up your death sentence, take it with you, and follow me. And self-sacrifice throughout the New Testament is obvious, and I believe it's the essence of the Christian life, self-sacrifice. We live in an age, though, where we want to maintain as much control and as much autonomy over our lives as we can and hand over as little control as is possible. But people, salvation comes when you give up that control. Salvation comes when you hand it over. And salvation, although it's a free gift, and I think we kind of pervert that idea a little bit. Salvation, although it's a free gift, has a great cost. It's not free in the sense that it's just handed out willy-nilly. It's free in the sense that it's undeserved on our part. We were enemies of God. We were working against him. We did not deserve his mercy and his favor and his sacrifice to redeem us back into relationship with him. It was free. We didn't deserve it. It was also free in the sense that it was unneeded and it was unrequired on his part. He freely chose. He didn't need to save us. He would still be God. It wasn't. Nobody was requiring it of him. He chose to freely sacrifice and pour out his love and mercy. There is a great cost to salvation. A great cost on his part, but there's a great cost on our part. And that cost is your undivided love. And love is not just sentiment. Love always requires sacrifice. Love always requires sacrifice. It's about putting someone before yourself. And he says, Love me with all your heart, with all your soul, with your, all your mind. Put me first. That's what's required. You know what else is required? Our unrivaled devotion. That nothing else compares to him. Unrivaled devotion and our very life is required. This is why Jesus says, Whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. And warns us, Count the cost first. If you want to be my disciple, if you want to be my follower, because I don't believe you can be a Christian and not a Christ follower. If you want to do it, then follow me, but count the cost first. It's going to cost you your life, it's going to cost you your undivided love and devotion. Many people want Jesus to simply be their Savior, to simply be their Savior. I want to get out of hell free card, and I'm just going to say a prayer, and then that's it. And I would say this, if Jesus in your life is only your Savior, I do not believe he is your Savior at all, because in order for him to be your Savior, he needs to be your Lord, He needs to be the Lord of your life, the one that you've handed everything over to. In the New Testament, it refers to Jesus as Savior 15 times. And in contrast to that, it refers to Jesus as Lord 618 times. I think he's trying to emphasize a point. And in fact, It is our personal salvation that saves us to a community, a community called the church. It is our personal salvation that calls us to this community where we work out our salvation together, where we are on mission together, and we worship and we serve God in all facets of our life together. We have enlisted together, and we serve the one who enlisted us. We relinquish control obedience and expect, feel, fulfilling expectations are really mainstays of being a soldier. And, you know, I've talked to people who are in the service or enlisted, and I often ask them, you know, hey, where are you going for boot camp? You know what I never hear? I've never heard it one time. When I say, hey, where are you going for boot camp? I never hear, eh, I'm not going to boot camp. And I'm like, what? You know? Oh, no, no. I went to ROTC in my senior year in high school. I know how the military works. I'm good. I'm not going. No. If you're in the military, it is absolutely assumed that you've either been through boot camp or you're going through boot camp. And it might be a little stretched, but I do think that that expectation is similar to baptism in our faith. It should be one of the first steps of obedience when we give our lives to Christ, when we surrender our lives to Christ, when we enlist baptism, submission, obedience, proclamation should be one of the very first steps that we take. Baptism is a very important step as a believer. And the reason for that is this. The New Testament makes baptism a normal and a natural part of becoming a Christian, and I would even say an expectation. Jesus called us, go make disciples, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. We see it in the early church in Acts chapter 2. You know, it says that you know, after Peter's first sermon at Pentecost, those who received his word were baptized. And 25 years later, Paul writing to the church in Rome, where he had never been before. And he assumed that all Christians were baptized. He said in Romans 6, 1 through 3, you know, Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ, Jesus, were baptized into his death? In other words, Paul assumes without any question without any explanation, that all the believers in Rome had been baptized. And he appeals to their baptism as the basis of their ethical instruction to the Christians. And again, Jesus, Jesus made a normative in Mark 16, 15. When he says this, he says, Go in all the world, proclaim the gospel to the whole creation, and whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. But whoever does not believe will be condemned. And I want to clarify. I don't think he's saying, if you're not baptized, you're not saved. You can look at the thief on the cross for that uh, example. But whenever it's available, I think what he's communicating, Jesus is communicating here very clearly, is it is an absolute expectation. Why wouldn't you? It's an important step. But I will say, I talk to people all the time, and they're scared too. They don't want to get up in front of people and have people watch them be dipped in the water. And I want to encourage you. People, we're called to be courageous. Courageous. We're called to be courageous in our faith. We're called to be courageous in our obedience. And we're called to be courageous in our proclamation of who we follow and who we belong to. Don't hide your faith under a bush. Oh, no. I'm going to let everybody know. No, I'm just kidding. Um, you know, Even though, even though being courage, courageous is hard, and I get that, I just want to encourage you. Where in Scripture would you, find, would you understand that baptism is not an expectation of a believer? Where in Scripture? You know, and if so if you've put your faith in Christ and you haven't been baptized as a believer, you know, I just want to ask you, what are you waiting for? We're doing them next week. You can sign up on the app. You can come out to the Connection Central. We can get you signed up. We can get you baptized next week. I want to encourage you. Be strengthened in the grace that God has given you and given us all. That's Timothy 2.1. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Be strengthened. And I do believe this. There is that that strengthening that comes when we give our lives to Christ and he breaks the, the bounds of sin in our life and he fills us with the Holy Spirit and we're strengthened in that. But I also believe this. The, the church is a grace where we can be strengthened. Because battles, battles are won by community, by people working together. Think about like the success of Weight Watchers and AA. And most of those success stories usually start by someone trying to, to fight the battle alone. And it's not until really they involve themselves into community, because there's power in community. There's power in accountability. There's power in seeing others win the battle and share how they found victory and pass this on to someone else. This community is how I'm strengthened in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. This is where I am strengthened and encouraged by God's people, right here in the church. This is the battle I enlisted for. This is where I see God work, in the church. This is where I am comforted by God's presence, in the church. I believe the church is God's answer to the fall. And it is the church that is the vehicle he is using To fulfill his purposes. To make himself known. To bring the gospel. The church is a grace. And when we think about God's grace. When we consider the lavish gift of eternal life. The spiritual blessings that are ours. This grace is our strength. Because it reminds us of the hope that we have in Jesus. Who died so we may live. This world is not our final stop. We rejoice that there is a grace that points us to a better hope where sin and death will be destroyed, where, where peace will be enjoyed, where we will worship God as a community in unity forever. And People, how can we not be compelled to share this? How could we not be compelled to share this? And how is this... Something that the next generation would not desire. We shouldn't be fearful. We should be expectant as we do that. We, we're strengthened in this hope. We don't grow strong because our enemies become weak. We become strong in, in the grace of Jesus Christ. It's in our love for him, our trust in him, our faith in him that we are strengthened. We follow him because he won the battle and he proclaimed victory to us. He gave us hope. And I will say this. We're not given this hope for our own enjoyment. We have been entrusted with things that we are supposed to entrust with others. Every blessing God gives, we should receive with open hands. Where we can receive them, but yet we don't hold on to them for ourselves, we share them with others. This is the mission of the church. Wars are not won because soldiers are running around doing their own thing either. They're not won without a strategy, they're not won without a plan. And so we want to invite you, we want to invite you to come join the mission that Olive Branch has been called to embark on. I mean, we have all been called on the same mission universally as Christians to go and make disciples. But part of it is like, what is your strategy? How are you going to do this as a community? And that's really what our membership classes are. You know, it's about calling you from simply just going to church to actually being part of the church. From going to church to being the church. Membership really is just kind of like committing yourself to this platoon Understanding what part you have in this war to equip you to understand how those objectives are going to be met strategically. What structures do we have in place to fulfill the mission? Let's face it, you can't commit to something really unless you know what it is that you're committing to, and what is expected, and how it's going to be executed. So that's what membership's about. It's not about joining a club. It's about joining the mission and understanding what that mission looks like. And I will say this. If you're in the military and you're AWOL, absent without leave, that's a very bad thing in the military. And if you don't come back, you're considered a deserter. And I know that sounds harsh, But I also know this, I don't think Paul would have used the vivid uh, imagery of a soldier if he didn't want us to equate that to our faith. You know, it is in most of us, if not all of us, to want to leave a better future for our children, for the next generation. From the beautiful simplicity of the Boy Scouts, where they, they don't just pick up their own litter, they pick up any litter they come across so that the next group coming up find the grounds better than they found it. You know, even climate change advocates, you know, part of their message is leaving the planet better off for future generations. And as parents, our own children, you know, we don't want our kids to stumble and and struggle around trying to figure things out like we did. We actually kind of want our children to Start at our ceiling, that their floor be our ceiling, and we can just launch them into the stratosphere. And our God is no different. There are no limits to his love, there are no impossible expectations. He longs for humanity to know him and tell of this victory story that is the gospel for the old and the young to come together harmoniously to pass on this faithfulness on to the next generation. And I pray that our ceilings as a church is the next generation's floor. Because the mission, the gospel, our great and amazing God is too wonderful to not inspire this next generation to soar. And I'll also say this, people, soaring (laughs) takes risk, and risk is a young man's game. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, let's face it. The older we get, the more comfortable we get, the more complacent we get. And we are less likely to take the necessary risk that is needed. That's why. Why? We need to embrace, engage, encourage this next generation to risk, to build, to conquer. Because if we don't, we will lose them. We are one generation away from disappearing. We need to reach them. How do we do that? We need to love God. Truly love God. We need to love God and and love God. It starts with humility. I was talking to somebody last week and they were like, how do you give your life to Christ? What is this, you know, how do you enter that door? And I was like, it starts with humility. It starts with humility because of this. Humility fuels love. Humility fuels love. When you think about it, guys, you know, when you met your woman and you wanted to marry her, it was this humility that fueled that love. Where you felt lucky and honored that they would love you back, that they were willing to, to share your life with you. And you wanted to please them and serve them, and it was all driven by humility. And when that humility wanes, is when marriage um, relationships suffer. When you start feeling like, you're lucky to have me, you need to serve me more. Love dies. When humility dies, humility is the fuel for love. And we need to be humble before God. Understand, we need him. He is a great and amazing. And I'm nothing without him. And it is that humility that will fuel your love. And we also need to live it out. Live it out with integrity. And we need to share the gospel. We need to love, live, and share wherever we go. That's church work. And church work is my work. Church work is our work. I want you to own that. So say it one more time. Church work is my work. Right. And I believe it's the vehicle that God has given us. And I believe it's important to come together. Hebrews 10, 24, and 25 says, Let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good deeds. How to encourage each other forward because people, this is hard. Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more, this is serious, this is life and death, all the more when you see the day drawing near. To kind of just sum all of this up, Paul's telling Timothy in his final letter, hey, despite the hardship, despite the suffering that you may endure, live faithfully and pass this on to the next generation. And with the imagery of a soldier, he is emphasizing the need for a wholehearted devotion to serving the commanding officer. We are to please the one who enlisted us. That Is what we're called to do. We are to please the one who enlisted us. and In that we are to find. In his pleasure. Is where we find our pleasure. And in our worship of him. Is where we are most fulfilled. So I just kind of want to challenge you guys. To think through this conversation today. And what is your next step? What is your next step? Maybe. Maybe you need to really give your life to Christ and stop living as if it was your own, alone. I want to encourage you to do that. And you can do that, you know, you can let us know you did that by filling out a commitment card, one of the blue in the seat back in front of you. Give us your name. Give us your information. We would love to continue that conversation. I have people in the back that's willing to give you some materials to help you think through that. But let us know That either you're considering giving your life to Christ, or you did. Or even that you recommitted your life. Maybe you need to be baptized. Maybe you've been, you're a believer, and you need to take that step. That step that we've been instructed to take. That I believe is truly an expectation. Maybe you need to be baptized. We're doing that next week, like I said. Maybe you need to move from going to church to being the church. And you can do that by just grabbing one of the green cards, these next step cards, filling it out and checking off baptism or membership class. And we'll get you signed up. We have a membership class coming up in a couple of weeks. Learn what we're about, how God's calling us to fulfill the mission. But also maybe you need to entrust what has been entrusted to you, faithful men and women, to other faithful men and women. And if that's you, I'm sure that that somebody has been placed on your heart or your mind. It's like, ah, I need to be more intentional with this person. I need to talk to this person. Write that name down. Pray over that name. And then be intentional about engaging that person. And I just want to encourage everybody, to take a moment today at some point and just reevaluate your priorities. Reevaluate it. Maybe some of them need to be adjusted. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Make sure that one's on the top. Let me close this in prayer. Lord, Father God, I just thank you, Lord, that not only have you redeemed us, you have called us your children, and you have given us a mission to let others know about your love, about the fact that you are willing to receive them as your children. And remove their sin from them. And to shape them. Lord, whether we're at a point where we haven't fully given our lives to you, I just pray for them that you'll move in their heart. You reveal yourself to them in a new and fresh way. But also, that we need to be intentional to reaching this next generation. In Jesus' name. Amen.